Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 6 this morning. Great study, wonderful passage that, that was read. I hope that you, uh, you know, I, I love what Jason introduced. One of the things that we try to do in our services, sometimes we get used to them and maybe you're new here, but we have that moment of silence and it's so important that we do that. The reason why we do that is because what we want, you, as you see these banners in this room, we need to remind ourselves that we want to hear from God. The reason why we take that moment, that minute of, of silent meditation is to hear, from, hear the word of God and to hear from his spirit first before any man is going is, is to speak to you. And uh, we're, that's what we're praying for this morning is that we would have that our, uh, the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our mind would be opened and that we would receive all that God has for us this morning. Well, this morning, as the passage read, you're going to hear a, a continued theme, the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Uh, when I was, when Liz and I had three kids, you know, we had three kids back to back to back. And one of the things that when you're a parent, you understand the importance of obedience, right? I mean, if you don't teach your kids obedience at a young age, what happens? Terror in the home, right? It's not going to be good. And we had our own simple definition of obedience in our home. It was doing what you're told right away with the right attitude, all right? So if you ask my kids today, I mean, they're all in college now, or almost all in college, but if they, if they, when they're here in spring break, if you ever go to one of my kids and say, what's the definition of obedience? I think they would tell you, doing what you're told in the right way with the right attitude. And, and the, what we're going to be talking about today is this idea of obedience. And obedience is one of these things that when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to church, we hear this a lot. I mean, I remember seeing songs in Sunday school about obedience. They made you spell it because they want to make sure that you understood obedience. We sing about it, we understand, or, or, or we hear sermons about it, but yet obedience is the one thing that sometimes eludes us the most in our own Christian life. And why is that? Why is it that obedience is so difficult? As, as, as Julie read the passage this morning, again, I want us to turn our eyes and attention to it, but look at verse 16. It says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the, Father, that the Lord swore to give you to your fathers by thrusting out all of your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Now, over and over again, this is probably the third or fourth time in this section of teaching that he's mentioning doing what the Lord commands. Hey, do this again. Make sure you keep the commandments of God. Now, as, as you remember, we have summarized the sermon that, that Moses has taught into four words. Do you remember what those four words are? Hear, love, keep, and teach. Let's say that together because I want you guys to get this. Ready? The four words are hear, love, keep, teach. These four words encompass the entire sermon. Deuteronomy is a sermon by Moses. He's giving to the nation of Israel as they're about to enter into the promised land, as they're about to receive the, inherit, the inherited promise of the promised land from God. Moses has led them for 40 plus years. The people have been wandering for 40 plus years. They're now ready to receive the fullness of the blessing, but he's telling them, listen, 
you have a choice today. All the things that I've done for you, all the things I've gone before you, you're, you failed in a number of ways. Remember the last time we were here, your forefathers, they rejected me. They didn't want to go into the land, but now I'm telling you, you can have success. But in order to do that, you have, you have two pathways before you. You have life or death, blessing or curse, me or idols. And so there's this continued desire saying you've got to keep the commandments, keep the commandments, keep the commandments, obedience, obedience, obedience. And so as we look at this idea of obedience again, we have to ask ourselves, why does Moses keep bringing it up? Why is he over and over again? I mean, if we look at the right before chapter 6, he says in verse 32, You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. Skip down a few verses in verse 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly. This whole idea of, I want you to do these commands. Over and over and over again. Why is God doing this? Well, I think there's, there's two major reasons. Number one is he knows this. Repetition is one of the keys to learning, right? You, you get that, right? Like when you're in school and they're teaching you things, that repetition helps you learn things. Like how many of you remember in third grade when they would teach you the times tables, right? How many of you remember that before they screwed math up, right? Some of you remember when you just, they just taught you math and there's no philosophy lesson behind it? Well, no, I remember, you know, two plus two equals four. Two, plus, two, times, three, two times three equals six. Two times four equals eight. Like you just memorize it. Why do, they memorize, why do they make you memorize it and repeat it over and over and over again? The reason why they're having you do that is because the point of repetition and learning is because they want the thing to from, go from conscious memory to subconscious they want, they're building up on things so that they make sure that you are aware of what's going on so they can build on top of things. So you're not just constantly thinking through like two times three. They don't want you to use your fingers, right? They want you to get it. And so one of the reasons why Moses is continually repeating the same message over and over again is because he's wanting to drill it into their heads so that there's no, when it, opportunity comes, do I obey God or not obey God, that they obey God. The other reason why I believe Moses is saying it over and over and over again is because he knows our human condition. He understands that from the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when man and woman rebelled against God, all of a sudden, we have wanted to do our own thing in our own way. One of the words for sin in the Bible, uh, there's, there's a lot of different words, but one of the words is to rebel. It's this idea of having a, a heart that re- wants to rebel against God in his ways. And so sin is not just keeping a list of rules or, 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 or when we break those rules. It's really about a heart attitude. And so when you think about how God wants to save us, when he sent Jesus to die for us, it was not just to save us from the accounts of all the bad things we have done, though his blood does cover that, but it's to change us. It's to give us a new heart and a new spirit so that all of a sudden we desire to follow God. And so if you are not, if you have not, uh, if you never put your faith and trust in Christ, if you are not a new creation in Jesus, then guess what? Your chances of you wanting to even follow God are going to be very slim. 
But once you do have that new nature, once you are a new creation in Christ, you finally have the desire to do what's right. But then there's another problem is that we've got this residual flesh in the world around us and inside of us that we're trying to, to constantly battle against. In fact, one of, one of Paul's most famous uh, scriptures that he wrote in Romans chapter 7, he has this very long discourse about the battle, the struggle he has between the Jekyll and Hyde desires inside of him. And he says, man, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't do, I want to do. And he's sharing the struggle. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, man, there's, just, there's times I'm just not able to keep the commandments that God wants me to? And we understand that struggle. That's a very natural thing. But here's what you have to understand. God does not lessen the demands and the, 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 the high standards of obedience. You see, what you and I want to do, knowing that obedience is hard, we've got two options. We can either beat ourselves, you know, we can either like, oh man, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not doing it and we can just live in guilt or we can just lower the, lower the standard and say, you know what? I'm going to obey God when it's comfortable for me, when it's easy for me. Or we put caveats around obedience. And what we know is this, obedience for us, what God expects is full-time obedience. Obedience that happens all the time, no matter where you're at. You know, where you, how you obey Christ and God in your workplace or at school or in other environments may be challenging, is as important as when you are obeying God here. It's easy to obey God here in this environment. It's harder. There's more places out there that are more difficult to obey God. And so what do we do with that? How do we, how do we get to the point where we're saying, God, I want to obey you. I want my heart to be filled with you so that I'm responding to you in the fullness of, 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 my, of my love for you. And so as we're looking at this passage, this is a continuation passage that we started last week. Those of you who remember, I, I, I preached a sermon last Sunday about the drift that happens. Moses has been going on in this passage. Hey, you know, you need to have this vision. I want you to adopt the vision that I have for, you, for this nation or that God has for this nation. And I want you to love the Lord your God. And then I want you to teach these commands diligently so that your family may... may follow me. This will be a multi-generational commitment to me. But then he says, hey, be careful of this. And he has a couple do not statements. And so this is the second part of the, the drift conversation that we had last week. And so here's the main idea I want to leave us with today. Full-time obedience is not easy, but it's possible. Full-time obedience is not easy, but it's possible. When we put conditions on our obedience to God, we miss out on the fullness of what God is offering us. And so we're going to look at how, why, why it's not easy and also why it's possible. So number one, is this. here's the first point. Full-time obedience is not easy because you and I want to be the boss. Full-time obedience is not easy because you and I want to be the boss. I, a uh, n- number of years ago, I, my, when my niece was about three years old, my sister and my, my brother-in-law, um, they have three kids, two boys and a girl. And their, their youngest daughter, uh, Ginger, was, you know, she's this little spunky kid. We love her. And, and uh, she got into this big, you know, it is in her mind, like, I want to be the boss. It was really important for her to be the boss. And my, my sister, her mom, kept telling her, you're not the boss, dad's the boss. 
And so this kept the clashing of wills. And so it got to be her third birthday. And she asked, she asked my sister, Trisha, hey, can I be the boss on my birthday? And my sister planned, I was like, you can be the boss for the day. And so, you know, she gets, Ginger gets up. She's, you know, she's, she's donned the boss. She's where she, my sister even got like a shirt for her that she's the boss for the day. And her first declaration was this. We're going to do nothing but eat candy all day long. <laughs> Bad idea. Right? The reason why, the reason why we don't let kids be the boss is because they're not ready to be the boss. They're not ready to be in charge. Well, look what, look what Moses again says in verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Now, what, what is he talking about here? What he's saying is there, 40 plus years ago, when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, what happened was Moses comes as God's deliverer. He, he pulled, you know, the, the plagues come, you know, you have the, the killing of the firstborn, and he, God rescues his people out of bondage. He redeems them as a people for his own. He gets them out of bondage, out of Egypt. And so they're on their way to the promised land, and they come to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army comes, and God splits the Red Sea, and they, they walk through the, the sea, uh, through the Red Sea on dry ground. They get to the other side, the Pharaoh's armies come and the water, God crashes the waters on the Pharaoh's armies and they are now free. They're set free. They don't have anything to worry about. They have nothing to, to you know, there's no army's going to chase them any longer. And they're like, yeah. And then a couple days, like a couple weeks later, whatever, they need water and they, there's no water except some bitter water. And Moses throws a stick in the water and makes the water sweet and, and, and drinkable. And then a couple days later, they're complaining because, hey, we, we want, we're hungry. We want food. And so God literally rains bread, manna down from heaven. And then a few days later, what happens? They're out of water again. They're like, oh God, we, we don't, what's wrong with you, God? And, and so this is what it's talking about. Exodus 17. God says, don't do that again when you tested me. Now that word test is a Hebrew word that means to prove or to prove by smell. Now, how many of you have, when you have something that's been in your refrigerator a little too long, and you're like, I'm not sure if that's good or not, what do you do? You smell it. It's your first, that's the first thing you do. You're like, that, that's exactly what this word, this word to test means. I, I'm proving it to see if it's of good quality. What the children of Israel did in Massah was they basically were like, God, I don't think that you really are who you say you are. In fact, I'm not, we're not doing anything until you prove yourself to us. That's their attitude. Their attitude was one of, you know what? I, I don't care what happened yesterday. You got to prove yourself today to me. They were acting like the boss when they weren't. God is the boss. And so, so the, what you see here is this idea of, of testing. And then, so when, he, when Moses says, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. And then verse 17, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded. You know, there is a, there is a correlation and a connection throughout the, the, the scriptures between this word testing and obedience. It's all, it's all over the Old Testament. In fact, I'm going to have some verses on the screen to prove this, okay? 
And, and we're going to see these, these verses up here. It starts in Exodus chapter 16, the very one of the very tests for the, when God rained manna down from heaven, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. There's that connection between testing and obedience. Exodus 20.20, 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, and that you may not sin. Numbers 14.22, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. Three more verses to, to show you. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, same word, to know it was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Judges 3, verse 4, they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And then Psalm 78, this was a song that was written years after this, referring back to the testing of the wilderness. And there's one verse that says, yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies. Now, in the first five verses we read, it's God testing us. God testing humanity to say, hey, are you really going to do what I'm asking you to do? And all of us, when we're in church, right, and we're like, hey, you guys going to obey God? And you're like, I am, pastor. I'm going to obey God, right? And then you get out there, you show up to work the next day, and God's like, hey, go, go pray for that person. It's like, oh, God, Come on now, let's not get crazy, all right? There, there is a connection between testing and obedience. And here's what the Word of God says. God tests us. He tests us all the time to see what is in our heart, to see if we truly love Him and will obey Him. And on the flip side of that, the last verse you read is God saying, hey, you tested me and didn't obey. Now here's what you and I have to come to grips with, right? This is... This is some deep theological stuff. I'm about to got to wrap your mind, wrap your minds around this right now, okay? Something really deep, profound. I want you to get this. You and I are not God. All right? Does everyone understand that? So when God tests us, we are that's fine. That's no problem. You know why that's no problem? Because he's God. And God can test us because he's God. But when we, on the other hand, say, oh yeah, God, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not doing that until you do this for me. And maybe we don't ever verbalize that, but that is, that is the attitude of our hearts. There are things that God is calling us to obey him. There's things that he's asking us to do, and we're saying, um, I'm putting conditions before I do this, Lord. You're going to have to show me that you're really, you know, you really care. I mean, one of the things it says in, in Exodus chapter 17 that they were grumbling about, the very thing that they said, their very words were, is God really among us? Is God really among us? I mean, can you imagine you're God and you have just, 
I mean, they're in slavery, they're in bondage. You have just shown your magnificent power nine different times, right? There's all, I mean, darkness and light. There's literally geographically a spot in Egypt where there was no sun shining and there was a dividing line where the people of God were. The animals, certain animals, the animals of the Israelites, they were okay. The animals of the Egyptians, they died. I mean, over and over and over again, seeing the power of God standing on the shores of the water saying, we are stuck in... Oh my, we're walking through on dry ground. I mean, seeing bread appear out of heaven on the ground. And a few days there's like, uh, where's God? I mean, I, I never see God do anything. Listen, this, we laugh about it when we see it in here, but you and I do the same thing to God. God has done amazing things. He's not, he has done amazing things in this world, but even, even probably more profound to you is God has done amazing things in your life as well. And remember last week, one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to forget all of the things that God has done for us. And when we forget about the, the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God, what happens is this. We start demanding things from God. I'll obey, but God, you got to submit to my will first. And when we do that, we miss out on the on the the amazing blessings that God has for us. When we when we're part time obeyers, I'll obey, but my conditions have to be met first. My expectations, my standard of God, you got to prove yourself to me. One of the things that we, we, see, we see Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16 in the New Testament. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he had three temptation tests. And in the last one he's given, and especially in the account of Luke, was when Satan takes Jesus on the top of the temple and says, Hey, if you are really the Son of God, throw yourself down and see if the angels will catch you. And in that moment, Jesus quotes this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, when he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When we tell God, hey, you got you to prove yourself. If you really are God, do this. That is an attitude that not only is rebellious against God, it is, it is actually the attitude that Satan has against God. We are the ones that must submit to his position, to his authority, acknowledging the fullness of what he has done. If God, if he's really the son of God, are we going to say that to the king of kings and the Lord of lords? You know, one of the things that, you know, we, we've got to be aware of is all of the, when you think about when God's asking you to do something, right? There's a lot of things in our lives that we would we we pull back on because I'm just not sure. Maybe we don't trust him, or again, we're God prove yourself. But there is a, there is a level of obedience that I believe God wants us to have. And I was just reading this morning in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter nine, and it's, and it's the point in the story of the wilderness journeys when it says that that you know God God's presence was over His people 
by this pillar of cloud by day and, and, a, and a pillar of fire by night. And this was to watch over them, to guide them or protect them. And it basically said this, when the cloud stopped, they stopped and set up camp. And when the cloud moved, they got up and moved with the cloud. And whether they, the cloud stopped for a day or two days or a month, they stopped when God stopped and they moved when God moved. They obeyed the commands of the Lord. And that to me, when I read that, I'm like, that is what God wants from us. What God wants is there's this sensitivity in our hearts. Just, Man, God, whatever it is that you want, I'm willing to do. No matter what people think, no matter what people are going to say, I'm going to be obedient to you. You know, a, a number of years ago, um, my wife and I, we were talking about our testimonies. And my wife grew up in a, in a Baptist church where, you know, it was kind of like, pray this prayer at VBS and we dunk you the next Sunday. And, and, and she went through that, but, but she, did, she realized she did not really become a follower of Jesus until she was in high school. And I remember we're getting ready... I mean, I was a youth pastor at this church, and she was my wife, and we're getting ready to plant a church, and we were talking about this, and I just had this idea. I said, well, you know, that means that you were baptized before you really accepted Christ. And she's like, yeah. I said, so what are you going to do? She's like, I guess I got to get baptized. Now, can you imagine someone, you know, the wife of the youth pastor shows up at church one Sunday and says, I need to be baptized. What, what are people going to think? Oh, man. Listen, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. What matters is, am I being obedient to God? One of the things, the reason I bring that up is, you know, baptism is, is really the, the first act of obedience that God invites us into. And maybe that story is similar to yours. Maybe you've never been publicly baptized or baptized, you know, credo baptism or baptism by immersion after salvation. And, and I would just say this, maybe God is saying, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm asking you to do, but I'm, I, I want you to take this, just the easy step first. Just take the simple step first. My, my wife and I were on a walk the other day and we were talking about some of the stories we had read in the Insanity of God book. If you, I know I've mentioned that before. And, and there's some amazing stories in there, like some guy, you know, flies into this airport because God tells him in a dream, like, I want you to go and, and just go to this airport. And the guy's like, all right, I'll just fly to this, air, this city. And someone shows up and is like, are you Charlie? And I'm like, I'm Charlie. And he's like, God told me to dream to come get you. And we're reading. It's like, whoa, this is so cool. And, and, and you're reading that. And when, as Christians, when we read these stories, there's, some, there's parts of us that's like, man, God, I want that kind of experience with you. I want that kind of power. I want to see that kind of power. I want to have that kind of intimacy. I, want, I mean, I want to see the magnificence of that level of, of your presence. Because let, let me just say this. We're never getting to that. You're never getting to that until, he, until he's like, hey, pray for your neighbor. Oh, not him. He's weird. If we can't do level one obedience, we're never going to be asked by God to do level five obedience. I cannot imagine being asked by God, get on a plane and fly to this city. Well, what's going to happen? I'll tell you when you get there. That's some serious obedience. But, but 
and, and maybe we're not there yet, but there's, there's a level of obedience. He's saying, hey, here's the step I want you to take. And you're not the boss. I am. Have you submitted to God your will? Well, there's, there's, another, there's another reason why full-time obedience, it, it, though it's not easy because we want our will, it is possible. Full-time obedience is possible because Christ's love compels us. Because Christ's love compels us. And when reading the second part of this, this section, starting in verse 18, it says, And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. You know, there's great devotional this week by, by Andy Barker, one of our elders, about he did a great job of correlating. You know, you have all these promises in this Old Testament relating to the Old Covenant. Now, right here, what God is asking them to respond to is to the covenant agreement that he made with them on Mount Sinai. I will be your God, you will be my people. And, and, and here's the commandments and the laws I want you to obey. And if you do these things, you will live in the land and you will prosper in the land. And you've know, you got to drive out the enemies before you. And what we find throughout the entire story of the Old Testament is that do the people of God do it? No. They keep failing and falling. And it didn't matter if it was a priest. It didn't matter if it was a prophet. It didn't matter if it was a king. It didn't matter who was leading them. They kept failing and falling at obeying God. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus, to live the life of obedience that we could not live, to fulfill completely the law of God so that he could stand in right standing before God and earn heaven. And yet he chose willingly to go to the cross and to pay for your sins and my sins, to take on the condemnation, to take on death, to take on the penalty that you and I deserve from God. And he bore our sins and suffered for us so that we might be saved, so that we might have the, the love of God, the fullness of God's love, the fullness of his blessing. Listen, we are not here today in 21st century America waiting for some land to receive some land. You know, the promise that we have from God is not about land. It's about an eternal relationship with him. It's about a closeness with him. And, and here's, here's the number one message that Jesus has given to us. And here's the good news of Jesus. That God loves you and that I have paid the penalty for you. And therefore, I want you to trust in me. I want you to love me. I want you, I want you to pay, place your complete faith in me. It is not about you earning my love. I don't want you to obey for my love. I want you to obey. I want you to love me. I want you to serve me because you are fully loved through me. That is the message of the New Testament. That we do not, it's not I trust in Jesus and I do these good works so that God approves of me. It's that I am so completely loved by God. I'm completely given the fullness of God's blessing that I can, there's nothing that I can do to earn or work for anything more from God. And because of his love is so great, and so if that's the kind of love that God has given to me, then I can't help 
but want to do what God wants me to do. That's what it means. I want you, I want you to see these two passages of Scripture. One is in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's where this phrase, Christ's love compels us, comes from. It's in verse 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, for the love of Christ controls us, or other translations, compels us. It's the idea that when the love of God has become so full in my heart, I can't help but respond in this way. It controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What does it mean to be obedient to God? What does, it, what does obedience look like? Listen, they had 613 laws in the Old Testament that they had to keep. But that's not what we have today. What, what we have today is a hard attitude that says, I want to live for God because Christ gave his life for me. That is the essence of obedience. And the definition of obedience is not necessarily doing what you're told right away with the right attitude. That's a, that's a pretty decent definition of obedience. But God has a better one. The second passage of Scripture I want you to see is in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I think these two verses encompass the fullness of what it means to obey God today as followers of Jesus. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. To be obedient means I just want to be like my dad. I want to do the things that he does. I want to love people the way he does. I want to serve people the way he does. Why? Because I'm so loved as a beloved child. And I want to walk in this love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those two verses right there, that's what it means to be obedient today. There's a million things that we can do to obey God. But walking in love as he has loved us, being imitators of God, that, that's so much bigger than 613 laws. So much deeper, so much more heartfelt. Man, God, this is what you want, and I want to want what you want. I want to do what you want me to do. I want you, as it says in Isaiah 55, as high as the heavens are above from the earth, are, are the difference between God's thoughts and God's ways. And man, what, what Jesus did was between that chasm between the heavens of God's thoughts and God's ways and on, and, and on earth, our thoughts and our ways, Jesus comes and he bridges that gap. And when we, have the, when we are a new nature in Christ and we love Jesus with all of our hearts and we are, we're following after him and we're serving him, when God transforms us by the renewing of our minds, and then it just flows. Then it's no, it's no longer, God, I'll do this if you do that. God, you've got to prove yourself to me. God, I'll give you, I'll, I'll start tithing when you start giving me that raise I deserve. God, I'll start inviting people over to my house to share a meal with them when they start cleaning up their act and stop swearing as much. We put conditions on our obedience, and all God is saying is, take the next step. Some of you, God is saying, hey, there's something I want you to do. 
here's the next step I want you to take. Here's who I want you to talk to. Here's, what I want, here's where I want you to go. Some of you, some of you guys saying, the obedience is not I want you to do, do something. It's like, I want you to be patient right now. I want you to be patient because you're trying to get ahead of me and you got to wait for me. Maybe that's what God's asking you to do. That's just what he, the thing that's before you. Maybe the thing that's before you is, I want you to love your wife or love your husband. But you don't understand, God. You don't understand who I married. Listen, one of the greatest lies I hear Christian couples say today in the church, I, I just married the wrong person. Just married the wrong person. No, the moment you said I do, that person is God's will for your life. And, and there's no, there's no, hey, love your love your wife or or or, or submit to your husband. Respect them, love each other, submit to each other. Don't you can do that as long as your spouse isn't a jerk. But if they're a jerk, I kind of get it. No, love, love them as Christ loved the church. There's no caveats to obedience. And because when our eyes are fixed on Jesus and not people, we under, we will be so full of the love of God, we can't help. The love of Christ will compel us to do the things that God asks us to do. You know, this past week, I was made known of some things that are going on in our world. Maybe you've heard or read about this Asbury revival that's happening on a college campus right now. I'm not sure if you've heard about it or read about it, but, but there's, there seems to be an awakening that's happened, one of which we've not seen in over 50 years in this nation. Now, I... I bring that up for a couple of reasons because people have been asking me, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Well, what I think about it is I pray to God it's real. One of the things you remember what I said back in September was this. Listen, the reason why we're starting with prayer and evangelism is because I believe a movement of God is possible today. I believe that. And I'm praying that whatever is happening in that college campus, it spreads. It spreads throughout our land. It spreads to other college campuses. It spreads to churches across our land. I'm praying to God it's real. But here's how you can tell when revival is real. It's not about the emotion in the room. It's not about the excitement in the moment. True revival, and, and, and there's, there's, there's a number of things that Jonathan Edwards, who lived the first great awakening in American history, he said, he gave five qualifications of whether you know something is really a work of the Holy Spirit. But two of them, I think, are applicable for us today. And there's this. If we love Jesus more and we are more committed and obedient to his word, that's a sign of revival. That's when we know it's real. And what God is, at, I think what, what we have to ask ourselves is, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for in order for you to be obedient to God this morning? What is he asking you to do? Who is he asking you to love? How is he asking you to trust him? He's asking you to do this, not because he's a mean overlord. He is a heavenly father and you are his beloved child. And he knows, you know this and he knows this. 
that when you and I have lived our lives the way we have wanted to live our lives, that road leads to pain and to heartache and to brokenness, to sorrow, to shame, and to guilt when we do what we want to do. And when we are obedient to his word and to his ways and to his spirit, that is the path of joy and delight in communion with God. And that's what he's offering to you every day. Will you obey him? What is he calling you to be obedient in today? Three questions and then we're done. Number one, have you been obeying God part-time or full-time? Are you a full-time obeyer or a part-time obeyer in your life? Number two, are you testing God before you obey? What are the caveats? What are the conditions? You've said, God, you've got to meet my demands. You've got to prove yourself to me before I do that. You've, you've, you're now claiming to be the boss. And, and you are going to, that's, it's going to lead to you missing out on the fullness of God's presence and blessing in your life. Number three, how much has Christ's love influenced your obedience? Man, listen, obedience without love is hard. Obedience without love is so hard. When you look at the Bible, is it, is it dragging on your soul or is it, is it water to your soul? Is it, the, is it the daily bread that, man, this is so good because your love for God is so deep and so rich because of his love for you has transformed you? Will you obey? Will you obey full time or will you just do what you want to do?